and welcome to the penultimate mad episode of this special third season of Trees A Crowd. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to it as much as I have enjoyed researching it. It is honestly hard to imagine what life will be like without it. I guess I'll have to return to the tedium of being a dutiful partner, a caring father, and a duplicitous Anglo-Saxon for Netflix. Same old, same old. Anyway, on with the trees. This week's episode is a tale of two trees. Trees 54 and 55 are very closely related. They are... The Wayfaring Tree. The Wayfaring Tree, Viburnum Lantana, and... The Gelder Rose. The Gelder Rose, Viburnum Opulus. But collectively, they're known as... The Viburnums. Uprooting the secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British Isles. After the ice retreated. The Gelder Rose was the first of this week's two trees to return. It spread throughout the British Isles and even reached as far north as the Arctic Circle. It favours damp, alkaline soils and can often be found alongside older cars and willow thickets in the damper of woodlands. In fact, due to the tree being found alongside rivers and fens, the Gelder Rose is also known as the Water Elder which is a name I much prefer, for it reminds us not only where the tree can be found, but also that this tree is related to last week's Whiffy Elder. My opinion on naming things, however, carries surprisingly little weight in the world of botany, and so we call it the Gelder Rose, and is a name supposedly given to it by the Elizabethan botanist Henry Light, who you may recall I took a pop at in the episode on the sycamore. Don't make fun of the dead, David. It's not polite. The wayfaring tree, however, arrived on the British Isles much later. It waited until the climate was at its warmest during the Atlantic period, and as such has a more restricted distribution. The two trees can often be found side by side, but the wayfaring tree prefers chalkier and limestone soils, and as such can primarily be found in the chalkier and warmer south of England. Chalk forms the majority of the geological bedrock that runs across the south of our isles, from the rolling countryside of East Dorset through the Hampshire Downs, across Salisbury Plain and the Marlborough Downs, the North and South Downs, the Chilterns up through Cambridgeshire and East Anglia, indeed all the way up our easterly coastline to the Yorkshire Worlds. If you're anywhere I just mentioned, then chances are that you are standing on chalk. Congratulations. And this is one of the reasons how our wayfarer came by its admittedly rather strange name. The wayfaring tree was christened by the oh-so-mighty Elizabethan herbalist John Gerard. He took the name that Virgil gave to it as unsatisfactory. Virgil simply called it the Viburnum. This seemed to Gerard to be a name given by Romans to all low and bending shrubs. I quoted that. I did the fingers and everything. So he sought a name for it elsewhere. I inquired of a countryman in Essex if he knew any name of this. He answered it was called the cotton tree by reason of the softness of the leaves. But the cotton tree as a name failed to appease him either. This cotton softness that Gerard refers to relates to the star-shaped hairs on the lower side of the leaf, which, for the record, is one surefire way to tell wayfaring leaves apart from those of the buckthorn, both of which look remarkably similar in most other respects. Anyway, 
Another colloquial folk name that failed to meet Gerard's high standards, this time from Wiltshire, was Hawwithy. Haw meaning grey-haired, again referring to the hairs under the leaves, and withy referring to the wayfarer's pliant stems, which were traditionally used to bind hay bales together. So, in 1597, in the fifth book of his Herbal, Gerard, having found cotton trees and haw withies frequenting the many paths that led him back and forth between his homes in Wiltshire and London, and seeing them as a marker for his ways fared, christened Viburnum Lantana the Wayfaring Tree. And so it remains today. It's worth adding that this path that Gerard took included the many chalk-rich footpaths of the Pilgrim's Way. This is the route taken by pilgrims from the old Saxon capital of Winchester to the shrine of Thomas Becket in Canterbury. The path follows an ancient trackway dating all the way back to around 600 years BC. So even before Gerard baptised the tree, and even before Thomas Becket's murder, a wayfaring man would have been guided by wayfaring trees. Both of this week's trees are in the same family as last week's stinky elder, the Vibernaceae, and as such they share a few characteristics. All three species support few invertebrates, and those that it does aren't there in great numbers. This is due to each plant being toxic, toxins there to deter herbivores. The leaves of all three species are all similarly arranged in opposite pairs and each have serrated margins, but conveniently, apart from the jaggedy edges, all three are very different shapes. As previously discussed, last week's elder leaves are compound leaves that resemble those of the ash, and the wayfaring tree has simple curved leaves, about one and a half times as long as wide, just like the buckthorn, albeit with hairier bottoms. But... Our Gelder Rose couldn't be more different if it tried. It possesses a beautiful three-lobed leaf which you'd be forgiven for mistaking for one of our maples. You have to look at the veins of the leaf more closely to tell them apart. The veins on the Gelder Rose are pinnate rather than the palmate leaves of the aces. And here's the science lesson. Pinnate leaves have veins that come off one main central vein, like quills off a feather, whereas palmate leaves possess several main veins that radiate from one point, like fingers from a palm. So, the Gelder Rose looks a little like a maple, but is not a maple, and is certainly not as sweet as a maple, and it's named for a rose, but is not a rose. So, I guess Shakespeare was lying out of his proverbials when he said a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, for here is a rose that even insects are prepared to ignore. But, despite not actually being a rose, the Gelder can still put on quite some floral display, hence the name. It takes its name from the Dutch province of Gelderland, from where a popular and particularly flowery cultivar of the Gelder supposedly originated. This cultivar is named Rosium, but is most often referred to as the Snowball Tree, very fitting for this time of year. Its floral displays are puffed up virgin white spherical snowballs, looking just like a poodle fresh from the parlour, but completely unlike our wild plant. A Gelder Rose out in the wild of the British Isles has umbels of flowers that look to me like a cross between a white hydrangea and cow parsley. Beautiful, delicate, and certainly a lot less ostentatious than the Dutch cultivar. But what is particularly interesting about our wild Gelder Rose is that the flowers on the outer edges of its white floral inflorescence are considerably larger than those on the inside, and yet they are sterile. They are there solely to attract pollinators to all of the smaller flowers towards the centre. 
Wayfaring tree blooms present similar umbels with lots of identical five-petaled cream flowers, but they lack the Gelder's secret of larger, pollinator-appealing blooms. Once pollinated in autumn, Gelder rose flowers swell into translucent bright red berries. They are stunners, but they are ignored by most birds. Thrushes give them a go, but usually wait until they're overripe and less astringent, and therefore more palatable. Bullfinches give the berries a miss altogether, choosing instead to mine the fruits in order to consume the nutritious seed. Most birds seek out other foodstuffs and seem to be waiting for the related elderberries to ripen, which are much more in demand. Similarly, the red berries of the wayfaring tree, which turn black with an amazing rapidity as soon as they're ripe, are eaten by thrushes, but again, elder are better. Bird law states, why touch gelderberries when elderberries are so much more tasty? Speaking of the gelder, but the same stands for the wayfarer, the 16th century sylvologist John Evelyn said, The leaves and berries are astringent and make an excellent gargle for loose teeth, sore throats, and to stop fluxes. Like so many of our asterids, again, these are the plants that I've been talking about since the dogwood episode, this week's trees are full of chemicals that stop animals snacking upon them, but chemicals that can be very useful under other circumstances. The gelder rose, for example, can provide antispasmodic benefits, helping those with asthma or menstrual cramps, which has led to yet another name for this very pretty tree. Cramp bark. And whilst we're on names, in the Ukraine, the gelder is known as Kalina and stands both as a symbol of Ukrainian national identity and as a symbol for womanhood, purity and family. A subsequent folk tradition performed upon the birth of a Ukrainian boy was for families to throw an oak branch into a river for strength and long life. But a baby girl, however, would be honoured with a bunch of Kalina berries being thrown into the current to secure a life of beauty, womanliness and the continuance of family. And to end on, just in case you're only listening to this series because you know I'm in a TV show about Vikings, then the clustered terminal leaf buds of the wayfaring tree, that's the leaves that start to grow at the very end of a twig, look a little like what Wagner and a whole bunch of history-butchering Victorians thought Viking helmets should look like. They have a couple of Viking horns poking up on either side. But if you were to ask me when I wasn't shamelessly promoting Netflix's upcoming TV show, Vikings Valhalla, then I would say that they look more like a scruffy rabbit. And so there you are, Flopsy, Mopsy, The Cotton Tree and Cramp Bark. Two of our smallest native tree species, but two delightfully pretty plants. Thank you as always for listening and please do keep spreading the word for next week. And I can't believe we're actually here. We'll be looking at tree number... 56, the last one, a suitably festive final episode. Our Holly. Bye-bye. Up who did the secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the bridge.